Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast, I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, Ofcom tells the BBC to fix its complaint process and do more to address impartiality concerns. There's a new streamer in town, but is Paramount Plus too late to the party? Plus, Kiss FM content director Rebecca Frank reveals why the station's launched a radio subscription service. And in the Media Quiz, we explore why readers are being riled up this week. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. And in the news this week, Talk TV's hired former Daily Mirror editor Richard Wallace as the channel's boss. Owner Rupert Murdoch's rumoured to be taking an active interest as the new station struggles to attract an audience. Meanwhile, Russia's blocked the Telegraph website over its Ukraine reporting. This follows 29 members of the British media being banned last week, including editors at The Guardian Times, Daily Mail and the BBC. UK party campaigners in Tiverton and Honiton's by-elections were criticised for dressing election material in journalistic clothes. And Time Out magazine distributed its last print copies on Thursday. The magazine will continue to publish online, including through a new daily email. But in today's show, I've got two experts here to unpack the media events making the headlines. First up is the Fleet Street Fox, Susie Boniface. Susie, you've had a busy couple of weeks, nominated for a Paulfoot Award. Congratulations. And a journal article being published as well for your work on Britain's nuclear test veterans, which is a really interesting story. Why did you get into this one? What's been happening? I mean, the Mirror has reported on nuclear test veterans for about 40 years. So I'm by no means the first reporter to do it. And in about 2002, I just joined the Sunday Mirror then and they were doing a, a big thing for the 50th anniversary of the first bomb test, which was in 52. And I think I might have done a case study on it or something. I was just, you know, a taxi rank reporter in the office who got given something. And then the main reporter who was anchoring these things, he left the paper. And when, you know, the phone rang and it was a test veteran, someone said, Boniface, you did that, you do it kind of thing. And they throw it at you. And then... So you, you sort of speak to someone and goes, well, I, I saw a nuclear bomb go off and this happened to me and I, I, this happened to me and, and my children are ill and my wife had miscarriages and we need justice. And you go, yeah, right, thanks very much. And you file your copy. And then another one contacts you or you go and find someone else and they say the same thing. And then someone else says the same thing and someone else says the same thing. And the MOD says, no, didn't happen. And so that was the fundamental thing. It was fairly quickly that I got really annoyed at the way these men were being treated by their governments, by successive governments of all types. And so it's been 20 years now that I've been writing about them. And we've uncovered so much stuff in that time. And, you know, there's so many people as well that I've interviewed and, and got to know as friends over the years who've passed away, who've died horrible deaths, having been 
abused and dragged to war pension tribunals off their deathbeds and things by the government. And this year we had a couple of big breakthroughs. So there was a, a government study that we helped win, which came back and said, yes, the test veterans do die in greater numbers than other veterans, and they do have more cancer than other veterans. Prove what they've said all this time. We had a campaign for the Prime Minister to look veterans in the eye and meet them and hear their stories for the first time. And we, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did that with Boris Johnson. He became the first Prime Minister since Churchill ordered the first test in 1952 to actually meet them. And he said, right, I don't know anything about all this. And I said, we should have been reading the Daily Mirror then, shouldn't you? have been writing it for 20 years. And like you say, it was shortlisted for an award. And we also managed to uncover the fact that the government had known about some of these illnesses and deaths and the high rates veterans were suffering back in 1988. And the stationary office confirmed to us that that was never published. And so the veterans just weren't aware of it. Susie, I take the um, Daily, Daily Mirror at home every day. And I must say, it's a great read and you're a great journalist. Oh, thank you very much. It's a good cross-section to have the mirror and the FT. I always say this to my mum and dad. I said, like, if you're going to read the mail, that's fine. But get the Guardian as well. Don't just get one. I get the Times mm. online and, and, I, and the Guardian I look at too. But I must say, um, it's full of energy at the moment. And you heard her there. It's the media writer and Channel 4 historian Maggie Brown. Welcome back to the show. Thank you much. And you've been following the voice of the Listener and Viewer Awards for Excellence in Broadcasting uh, as we were recording this this morning. What have they been up to? Well, they have these awards every year and today was really good because there are 12 awards. If I say that six of them for audio or radio basically are shared between uh, Radio 4 and Radio 3, you'll understand what I mean. But, you know, one of the big awards was uh, the Week in Westminster, which I didn't know had been going for 90 years, which is really good. Chris Mason got the award for Best Audio um, Presenter and, in fact, he's having to stand back from doing any questions because he's just got too much on as political editor. But he was going off to the Isle of Skye, I think, to actually do a final broadcast. It's a very interesting thing, but one of the key things about today was that they launched um, their own campaign, Save Our Broadcasting, which is a social media campaign, and it just shows the degree of anxiety and concern So he was part of this kind of move, really. I think to check the government's enthusiasm for taking apart the public service broadcasters that we've got. We're talking about um, public service broadcasters. Former BBC Trust chairman Lord Chris Patton was chatting to Andrew Marr this week. And it said that the kind of the government's current policy on the BBC, and, you know, he is a Tory lord, uh, made him feel sick. Pretty strong words. Um, what do you make of his comments? Well, he's absolutely furious. And I think that he's joined by many others in the Conservative Party, let alone on the Labour benches. The government does appear to be bearing down very heavily on the BBC in all sorts of areas. There's a lot at stake for the BBC. And because they've frozen the licence fee for two years, one of Dean Doris did, that was the Culture Secretary, the first sort of move she really made... The BBC's had to announce a whole series of cutbacks, as as you know, stopping BBC Four, CBBC coming off air, savings which are peripheral at this moment, but show the kind of pressure that the cuts are making on it. At, at a point when it should be actually celebrating a century 
of success, whether you think it should be exactly the same as it is now, is another matter. I don't think politicians should be anywhere near the BBC or appointments to the BBC. And that's it. There's, there should be no politicians anywhere near it, appointing director generals or anything else. It's not one for the culture secretary. It's one for the general public and it's not for anybody else at all. The correct position of journalists is that of a dog to a lamppost. And if you are upsetting the <laughs> government and power, then you are doing it right. And you'd have thought if you have a journalist at the top of your government, that that is the prevailing opinion that you'd have. However, it's not. Also putting pressure on the BBC this week was Watchdog Ofcom. Uh, They've been told to improve their handling of complaints, especially in regards to impartiality. I mean, in some of their research, they found that 39% of viewers think that the BBC is biased, which seemed pretty high to me. Does this suggest like that beyond sort of our general kind of generic government pressure, that there is a real impartiality problem? Well, I think that The problem with the BBC is that it has so many outlets. For example, they're saying that the number of complaints are double the ones that ITV has, but the BBC has a whole set of radio services as well, and it also has its online presence and all of the different range of channels. I think that there always needs to be an examination. I recently was listening to a very interesting interview Uh, with the new chief executive officer of ITN, Rachel Corp, and she was saying that the whole thing uh, about impartiality was key to the services that ITV puts out as well. The BBC has a special duty because it's a national service, it's completely funded by licence fee payers. Where I think it, it does need to improve, there clearly hasn't been an explanation when they reject a complaint and don't take it further. There hasn't been the necessary feedback that you would perhaps expect. So it it can clean up its act. But I do think that it's already doing that, to be honest. One of the interesting things I think about this, though, is that the influence of something which happened 25 years ago, which was the Princess Diana interview and Martin Bashir. And there were two investigations into it, which published in 2021. And that inheritance has definitely coloured the belief that there is something really wrong at the BBC, whereas in fact that is quite a historical though huge issue and maybe has also resonated with the public as well. Turning to the digital side of news, Google News has redesigned its platform to mark the platform's 20th birthday. Susie, 20 years of Google News has been marked with big tensions with traditional journalism. How are the big platforms viewed today on Fleet Street? Is it getting any better? There's still a lot of difficulty in that there are journalists trying to cooperate with the big platforms to get their pieces out there, to understand how they work and use the algorithms to the best potential. And then the algorithms keep changing, so the platforms have other other things they need to do as well. To some extent, it's a David and Goliath battle, and it's not fair, and it's not being done in the interest of spreading news and information. It's being done in the interest of profit. And that's how Fleet Street has always worked since, you know, year dot. So it's not the end of the world, but it does need sorting out. And the fact that Google left Spain when the Spanish government tried to to fix this and now is reopening back in Spain, it does show perhaps that the big platforms are realising that's where they've got to move to. But I really think they need to understand they have a social responsibility. Journalists understand that. Journalists have taught that from day one. doesn't matter if you're broadcast or press, if you're writing a blog or anything else, you know you have a social responsibility to what it is that you're doing. And the big platforms, big corporations who are making billions of dollars 
they need to appreciate that a bit more too. A few local democracy reporters here or there or tweaking an algorithm so more people look at a mirror story now and again isn't quite going to cut the mustard. Um, I was reading the other week an article that Jim Waterson, the Guardian's media editor, wrote talking about um, news deserts becoming a real problem in the UK. Do you think platforms like Google News could help solve this issue of news deserts? Or is it much more fundamental than that? Well, I actually don't think that calling it deserts is, is entirely correct. I do, of course, accept Google and, of course, YouTube and TikTok, big platforms now, which younger people are getting their news and information and just fun facts and figures out, you know, delivered to them. So the, the whole world has very significantly changed. There have been initiatives. In fact, Jim's article referred to it, the fact that the BBC funds um, some local journalism. I live in two places, in London, South London, and I live in Wales. And oddly, I have found that the press, in my, local press in my areas, have been remarkably up to date and quite tough on both local councils and on reporting things that matter to people. It's not a desert, but he's basically right. There's a terrible deficit. Journalism is not as well-funded or as well-regarded as it could be. And we are relying on the social media giants to, if you like, mediate with, certainly with younger audiences. So, Susie, the Digital Markets Competition and Consumer Bill, which is currently being drafted, will introduce new rules for the tech giants in the UK. Uh, what would you hope to see? It needs to be drafted by some people with brains who know how it works. Don't have much faith that that person currently resides at the Department of Culture. So what would you hope someone with brains would do? I don't know. It's not me. I haven't got to do it, mercifully. I haven't got to try and crack this nut or figure out this, this horrible Gordian knot of information and who has control over it. But... I do think for a lot of these big questions that we're facing, both in media, in free speech, in the online world, you need to have some big brains on it. And we don't currently have some big brains. You know, if you put me in that position, I would struggle and I would admit that I would struggle. And that's why you don't elect journalists to power. If a mediocre journalist could walk in the room and make mincemeat of you, then you're not the person who should be deciding these big issues. She has got lots of civil servants around her who hopefully are helping feed through this, but... I'm pretty certain that the lawyers and the great brains who work at Google and Facebook and TikTok are going to be able to outclass the people currently on our government front benches. Well, we talked all about media legislation and the UK government's proposed a Bill of Rights. And Dominic Raab has promised the bill would boost freedom of the press and freedom of expression by making it harder for courts to order journalists to disclose their sources. Is the bill good news for journalism or is this the government putting lipstick on an extremely controversial bill uh, linked to the failed deportation of flights you know, to Rwanda last week? Dominic Raab is as thick as custard. And I don't listen to anything he has to say about anything. He's got two law degrees and not a single brain cell between his ears. The only reason they're bringing in this Bill of Rights, so-called, is to take away some rights. That's the only purpose to it. It's not there because we're lacking rights at the moment. It's because they're saying people have too many rights. So it's a Bill of Fewer Rights is what they're talking about. We do have some issues with, in terms of, you know, courts being able to order, as they did at the Sun, for example, ordering uh, to open up journalists' mobile phone communications to bust out their sources and things like this. Those need dealing with. I very much doubt that's going to happen in the, this Bill of Rights. For example, the government is busy saying that they're going to give 
protections to the Ministry of Defence as not being bothered by vexatious uh, legal cases as a result of foreign military activity. And what they're also doing is stopping our own servicemen being able to sue their government when their own human rights are being disrespected. It's just a bonfire of rights is what this is. If this is in any way going to improve any single human being's circumstance on the planet, I will I'll eat my bedroom door. It's just not going to happen in quite the way that's being sold, especially, and I'm really disappointed. That. I love Fleet Street and I love the things that it does and I, all the different newspapers of whatever political bent. I've worked at most of them. I know what they're good at and what they're bad at and I respect and love all of them. And some of the right-wing papers where there are good journalists who know the problems we've got here are just churning out propaganda about things like this Bill of Rights and they're not giving it the scrutiny that it's Fleet Street's job to do. They're just repeating things that Dominic Raab says. And, you know, you might as well repeat stuff the cat tells you. It means nothing. And it's just, it's a constant campaign these days to get to the next general election. We're going to have that for the next two years. And we have to scrutinise the things they say as though it were a general election campaign, because that's, that's why they're putting this stuff out. We are already treated like second-class citizens because we're journalists. You know, our freedom of information requests are judged differently to those of the general public. Our freedoms now previously are treated differently to that of the general public. But just because the government's got a bit of a headline issue with migrants, for example, is no reason to take away the rights of military servicemen. They're using this to fight a lot of battles and to win a lot of headlines. And I really think that some of the headlines that are being written need to be rewritten. Susie, I know you've got to hop off. Uh, Are you working on anything exciting at the moment? Where can listeners follow your writing? Uh, The things that I'm working on at the moment, they're exciting. I'm not going to tell you about because uh, you have to buy the Daily Mirror when I actually publish it. And so just keep buying the Mirror because it's going to be in there. Uh, and it's not anywhere else because no other newspapers are really following up the stuff that we've been doing for 20 years, which is a great pity. I would love to have some competition on this story for once and to actually turn up to an event and have to get my elbows out and fight for the fight for the interview. So if there's anyone listening to this who, uh, who wants to find out a bit more about nuclear test veterans, I mean, just Google it and it's all there. But, you know, if you, people want to follow me, what I'm doing, I'm Fleet Street Fox on Twitter and Susie Boniface, I'm right under my normal name for the Daily Mirror. So just Google things and I'll... I'll pop up into your timelines, invited or otherwise, I'm sure. Thanks both. On to radio. I spoke to Rebecca Frank, KISS FM's content director, earlier in the week. Her network launched an ad-free subscription service. And I asked Rebecca why it's key to keeping radio attractive for young audiences. So you get a 30-day free trial, Matt, if you sign up now. But ongoing, it's three ninety nine a month. And for that, you get an ad-break-free experience of any KISS station. You also get 10 brand new stations from KISS. So we have a lot of KISS spin spin-offs, KISS trance, KISS slow jams. And finally, third sort of big headline is you can skip up to six tracks an hour. That's wild. Even on the main station. Correct. And it will take you to a huge amount of work behind the scenes at the music team and some extra effort <laughs> coming in, obviously, sort of working every single day on this. But that's really exciting as well, because it starts to put, you know, radio in the palm of the listeners. I would say my expectations are that features like that are going to be pretty niche for quite a long time. Because we know, and you've talked about a lot in your sort of previous media, you know, that it's a serendipity in the curation of radio, which is part of its appeal. 
but people are very different and everybody's got different kind of ways of thinking so it's going to be really interesting after you know a good six months to really analyze what's really taking for the for the kiss audience that sounds really exciting um i think it's a, a fascinating thing and actually your 399 gets you all the other bauer stations that are on it as well so if you listen to a couple of brands i think it probably becomes an even better offer doesn't it yeah, absolutely. And you're doing my job for me there. Thank you very much, Matt. <laughs> very good point. Just thinking about kind of audiences. I mean, Kiss is sort of at the vanguard of a younger audience. Your breakfast show hosts are, are very much uh, kind of TikTok uh, stars or they're, you know, they're celebrities from before, but they've, they've done very well on TikTok. What is kind of radio in an age of TikTok? Where should it be? What should it be doing to, to reach those people who are maybe scattered across the internet a little more? Gosh, you know, when I'm having, and this is real talk because there's no point in being anything else with you, Matt, uh, and your listeners. There is no graph, silver bullet, or study that can absolutely prove that being really big <laughs> on social media equals more people listening to the radio. It's just the long and short of it. What we can do as an industry, we've all done, I'm sure, in our various different companies, is have a look at the potency of our brands and see how engaged our audiences are and potential and existing and younger audiences are in different ages are on those different platforms. And we all utilize our best emotional intelligence and strategic thinking to make sure that we are telling those audiences who are being engaged on that platform, the right platform, the right content for TikTok is doing the right thing for TikTok can we automatically draw a line from that success to then being a breakfast show listener? Not necessarily. And it's really difficult to prove that. And I'd love for somebody to send me a study that absolutely shows that. <laughs> me too. But what we can glean, and I hope we all have to glean and stick our necks out as leaders and, and, and as you know, far more intelligent people than me around it, is if there is love for that brand and stickiness and potency, be that commercially, be that the sort of guests that you're getting, the the sort of general buzz, the conversation, the PR that your brand is sort of generating, you're going to be in a better position to therefore attract attention via your radio platform. So sometimes that might mean a hard and fast call to action to download an app or to listen at a particular time on a social post. Or I know that a lot of our competitors will have sort of have badges on their social content at the moment that pointing to sort of listening to particular programs. Mm. We're all experimenting. That's my observations. We're all experimenting with is it a call to action? Is it a badge that's constantly there on a video? The truth is, I think we've all just got to keep trying out these different things, sticking our necks out and, you know, making sure that we are being strategic. We're not just throwing content into the wind onto third parties and social platforms, but at the same time that we're not doggedly telling people to listen to the radio at the beginning and end and every single bit of content because content has to be appealing on that platform at that time for especially for a younger audience i suppose if anything keeps you awake at night it is that constant mulling over that strategy obviously kiss is pretty much a music intensive brand uh, music's kind of at, at the core of it but i know that you do lots of other things as well I, I saw recently that you've started um kind of getting involved with the rio ferdinand foundation how much is the non-music output important to brand growth or sort of describing what you do? That phrase, actually, that's the one. We have to be a great musical experience in terms of for, for our sort of core people spending time with our brand. But more and more, we are getting, you know, social only briefs, partnership briefs that are about real life activations for any radio brand or any brand trying to appeal to human beings in this cacophony of choice and 
you know, very high quality content is across all of the platforms that our audiences are, are promiscuous on every single day. Standing for something is really important. Being really clear about who you are, what you care about, even if you're a kind of quite a broad thing like KISS, it has to be a really, really important thing. That doesn't mean that in every single piece of media that we do, we need to explain that. But it means that as a broad brushstroke over a period of time, across a year, across a month, there needs to be enough depth, enough memorable moments, enough memorable links and, and opinionated things said by a presenter or enough meaningful conversation about meaningful things because our audience are complex. And although we are... In many ways, Kistory is a place that we all go to escape to put on some bangers and listen to J-Lo on a Thursday afternoon. That's fantastic. <laughs> the appeal for sort of newer audience members and potentially to retain older audience members who have even more choice, you could possibly say, when it comes to radio, because it's maybe it's potentially more their native medium. Being obvious what we stand about and being written about, being talked about, all of those things are really important. So... Yeah, the partnership with the Rio Ferdinand Foundation is in its early stages, but we've got some really good plans for later this year, some regional events in real life with young people, partnerships with Warner Music, who are also on board with the foundation. Rio's really dedicating all of his kind of non-punditry life to helping young people get into employment. And whether you are a younger person, a parent of, or a human being with any kind of heart and soul in the UK, <laughs> I think a mission like that can sort of touch you really, can't it, at the moment? What have people got to look out for from KISS over the summer this year? I feel like we're sort of like one announcement after the other at the moment. My team certainly feel like that. So we've got some more IB activity coming up. We've got partnerships with four or five other festivals in the UK coming up, both sort of on the ground and from content. So that's really exciting. We're really hoping to do something around Carnival this year, which we feel says a lot about who we are as a brand as well. And obviously, we've just done our first announcement for Kiss Haunted House Party, um, which is back in real life in Wembley's October, which is so exciting because I've not done a real life one yet with the team. So that should be really good. So, you know, events and getting out there and making noise as well as sort of consolidating stuff like premium, which is obviously a brand new sort of innovative thing that, that we've started on the station. So, yeah, just really excited to actually get out there and brush shoulders with the audience a bit more. That was Rebecca Frank. If you're interested in hearing more of our chat about how she's keeping radio relevant in the age of TikTok, then just head to our Patreon, patreon.com slash mediapod. As a Patreon subscriber, you'll get access to bonus interview material with media podcast guests every week, including the one we've done with Rebecca Frank. Plus, and this is more important, it supports us making the show. To do all of that, just go to patreon.com slash mediapod, patreon.com slash Media pod. We'll be back after this. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. 
Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back. Susie's had to pop off, but Maggie's still here with me and it's time for some news in brief. There's a new streamer in town with Paramount Plus officially launching in the UK this week. Maggie, the launch came with a surprise partnership announcement with Sky. I kind of looked at it and I thought, hmm, I I mean, probably like a great many people, we have Netflix, we have our, you know, smart TVs everywhere. And I don't think I'm going to pay 6.99 for another service. Now I may be, you know, a bit too old and grumpy for any more stuff, but I can't really cope with the choice I've got now and with limited time. So I, I wish it well. I see it's going to start making original content once it's up and running. And it may be that that will be the time, you know, to dip in and maybe have a go. They probably left it a bit late. I'm not surprised it's being put on Sky, but I don't really feel that it's going to make a material difference, really, to people's uh, viewing. Uh, no, I think you're probably correct. Obviously, that means no new Star Trek shows for you, so you'll have to <laughs> you'll have to wait uh, to see all of those. I actually think at the moment, though, I've been spending far too much time watching news, and that has been so compelling. I know that we're all cooling off a bit on Ukraine, but it has been a most extraordinary period these past couple of months. Well, if you've been watching the news, you are just ready to play uh, against yourself for the media quiz. It's your chance to show all that skill in one go. I'm going to describe three media properties that have ruffled the feathers of their readership this week. I'm going to give you the story. You've just got to tell me the news brand. Okay, here we go. Question number one. Which UK publisher had its comment section explode this week after a story mysteriously vanished? Oh, the Times. It's to do with... Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, I should say Maggie, shouldn't I, in in this quiz? But no, it's (laughs) the Prime Minister trying to get a job for his dear Carrie in a rather sort of unconventional and... I mean, completely wrong manner. But why it disappeared? Well, they rang up, obviously, the Times and probably told the Times at midnight that the story wasn't right, although it does appear that the story was correct. I don't know why it was pulled, but it was pulled. It's the Streisand effect, isn't it, that people call this when suddenly uh, no one would have really noticed it before, but they all now notice it because of all the Ferrari. I get the Times online, so I actually saw it. You know, they they often put stories out just by midnight or so. So I, I noted it and then I... I noticed it had gone, but then the story's just got worse for them, hasn't it? Because (laughs) he'd been trying before to get her into apparently a well-paid job, which they don't seem to be denying. I mean, you know, it it all rings very true to Boris's activities, I'm afraid. Question number two, uh, which major US publisher is offering an annual digital news subscription for $50 a year until the year 2072? Oh, the Washington Post. But I'd be dead in 50 years. So <laughs> you'd have to be under 30, wouldn't you, really? Absolutely. I think I might be dead as well. Yes, this is the Washington Post marking 50 years since it covered the Watergate break-in. Jeff Bezos is inviting subscribers to sign up for half a century at half price. 
I just feel exhausted. Every time I try to sort of look at a story, you find people trying to offer you an offer, you know, the whole time. You know, the mm. Telegraph's at it, everybody's at it. And uh, I have had different subscriptions in the past and they're continually trying to just lure you in for very little money. And the New York Times, if you subscribe with them to unsubscribe, you have to ring them up, which is uh, a little bit sneaky. Right, question number three. Which UK newspapers raised half a million pounds in two days by offering readers the chance to buy its shares? Uh, oh, I don't know. Pass. Uh, so this is the New European. This is the pop-up newspaper that was kind of conceived in the wake of the Brexit referendum. They opened a funding round on Monday and by Wednesday it had surpassed half a million quid from 600 investors. Are you aware of the New European? Do you ever see it? I do see it. I don't buy it. I think the people who put money into it, aren't they Lionel Barber? And I think and Mark Thompson, I think, also have put money into it. I'm glad that people are enthusiastic about it. And I do know somebody who works for it. It's a great idea. Let's face it. For a lot of people, Brexit has shown itself to be a disaster and doing great damage to the country, potentially. So the idea that you can ally with a brand that is actually looking forward to Europe as opposed to withdrawing has great appeal to quite a lot of people and that's demonstrated by the fund. I think it also shows doesn't it where you if you create something that's sort of appeals to your heart as well as your head uh, you can extract money from the wallet or purse. And that's our show today. Uh, my thanks to Susie Boniface and Maggie Brown. And Maggie, there's undoubtedly more to come on the prioritisation of Channel 4. Uh, where can we keep track of your expert commentary? Well, probably on Twitter, actually. I mean, I am in communication with some of the people, I mean, senior people working to see whether it can be aborted. So I'm following it pretty closely. And there will be some form of debate and event around my Channel 4 history books in November to mark the anniversary. Thanks for joining us on the Media Podcast this week. If you're not already a free subscriber to it, making sure that every episode is available in your podcast app of choice. Remember, all you have to do is hit follow or subscribe and that'll be delivered beautifully to you every week. There's other ways to support the show, though. Why not become a subscriber to our Patreon? You can uh, give any amount, really. Patreon.com slash MediaPod. And as a thank you, you get access to all of our deep dive interviews with all of our weekly guests. So why not shove us a few quid? Patreon.com slash MediaPod. My name's Matt Deegan. You can find my weekly newsletter about the audio industry at MattDeegan.com. The producer was Phoebe Adler-Ryan. And with support from Matt Hill, it was a rethink audio production. We'll see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.